You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. This is the MD's Fantasy Football Show with Dan Mader. Giving you the X's and O's of all things fantasy. On the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back to the show, MD Nation. We have a great one in store for you guys today as you are listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, WWSRN. Also presented to you by Belly Up Sports. As always, I'm your host, Dan Mater, and it is the first week of the fantasy football playoffs, week 14. Here we are. Here we come, MD Nation. We are on the pathway to a championship starting today. Now, where would we be in an NFL week if we did not have at least some COVID news to have to talk about today? Luckily, compared to the last few weeks, it's a little bit minor, I guess you would say, comparatively speaking. I don't want to make light of any uh, positive tests from anybody, but the Cleveland Browns did have to shut down their facilities today due to a positive COVID test. From what I understand, it is a staff member of why, I'm sorry, not the Cleveland Browns, Chicago Bears, excuse me, it was the Chicago Bears who had to shut down their facility today. Uh, From what I understand, it was a staff member, it was not a player, but these are things that are going to derail a lot of people's championships. Without a doubt, the way the last couple of weeks have gone, where people have been popping up on the injury report and having to be inactive at such late stages in the weeks and setting your lineups, it looks as though you might be, well, I mean, really the same as it's been all season long, right? It might be coming down to who can win the war of attrition within these next three weeks for 99% of the leagues out there. Now, for that one percentage out there that actually carries on in the week 17 for your championship weeks, or like I like to call the amateur hour leagues, don't worry, we're going to have shows for you guys today, but you're kind of the minority right now. We'll, we'll talk about you guys in week 17, and hopefully I'll be able to bring you guys to the light as to why playing your championship in week 17 makes absolutely no sense. But over the next three weeks, your biggest problem isn't going to be your opponent. Your biggest problem isn't going to be choosing the correct player at your position in your lineup. Your biggest opponent, your biggest war in the pathway to your championship run is going to be against having enough options to compensate late corona inactives. That's what it's going to boil down to. I mean, look at yesterday, or Tuesday's game. Des Bryant got pulled on the practice field, on the warm-up field, heading into the game. He was warming up to get ready to play, and he got pulled then. That is how late in the game this can happen. Now, it happened to Des Bryant, who nobody had in their fantasy lineups, but that could happen to anybody. Anybody. That's the point. Have options ready to go. And as commissioners, I know a lot of people are trying to figure out, well, if that actually happens to a fantasy-relevant player... You know, what do we do? The best solution that I've been able to think of and is this, especially now that we're in the fantasy playoffs. You don't really want to mess around. You don't want to have this competition be dealt out by a, you know, a, a default guy coming in zero because he got COVID and pulled off the field at the very last second. Have a system where somebody in a message board or whatever the case may be, texting the commissioner directly, have a system where they're allowed to have a COVID-ready player, an extra player, if you will, a guy that they can message out to the commissioner and say, hey, if this position 
becomes available due to COVID reasons, this is the player to automatically sub in. And do it before games kick off, so that way there's no cheating involved, there's none of that, and if they don't get it in before the game kicks off, before the player would traditionally lock in, then it doesn't count. But if you get him in before, let's say the 1 o'clock kickoff on Sunday and say, hey, I want Giovanni Bernard to be my extra COVID player in case Jonathan Taylor, for instance, gets pulled off the field at the last second. Some kind of system like that in place. That way it can stay fair. And as a fantasy owner, as a fantasy player, your job in this situation is to make sure that you have enough possibilities, enough options. That's what you have to do. So that's my advice to you commissioners out there as we head into these fantasy football playoffs with the COVID issues ramping up. This isn't going to get better. This is only going to get worse. We are right in the thick of the second wave. More NFL players are testing positive now than they did at any point in the season. You have to be prepared for these situations. So there's a lot more guys who you wouldn't necessarily look at as waiver pickups or guys that you want to have in your roster heading into your playoffs that you might want to look at because you want to have as many valuable options as possible. Because, I mean, this is kind of a pivot from what I talked about on Tuesday, which is the general advice when you're going into your fantasy football playoffs is that you want to solidify and simplify your roster. And usually speaking, what you mean by that is you want to handcuff all your top running backs. You want to have one or two backup wide receiver options for your starting wide receivers who have good matchups over the next three weeks, or at least overall speaking. You want these things in place. You want maybe two defenses. You want maybe two quarterbacks if you've been streaming all all year because you don't want to have to fight on the waiver wire to get that guy. You want to simplify and solidify what your starting lineup is going to be over the next three weeks. Generally speaking, that is the fantasy playoff advice that you should be abiding by. But because it's 2020, because it's a hell of a year, because of COVID, you have to leave the door open for maybe having a couple extra options that you wouldn't normally look to add, even if, ideally speaking, they wouldn't be in your starting lineup. You have to have those guys available to you. And commissioners, you have to be flexible enough to have something in place to help these guys out. So that's my overall fantasy football advice before we actually dive into what this show is actually all about, which is the early week 14 preview matchups. It's Thursday. This is what we do from 12 to 1.30 on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network on Thursdays. We talk about the early window of games. Thursday night game, early afternoon Sunday games. Tonight, we got the Rams, we got the Patriots. We got Cam Newton versus Jared Goff. We got... Damian Harris versus Darrell Henderson and Cam Akers? Because it sounds like Malcolm Brown's not going to play. We're going to talk about that. Can you trust a Patriots wide receiver? What's the ceiling and floor ratio between Robert Woods and Cooper Cup? All these questions are circling around in your fantasy football lineups. At the end of the day, I don't know if there's a Patriot player that I really want to have to be in a position to play this particular week. I don't know if there is one. Not in a fantasy playoff matchup, not in a situation where I have to win this game or go home. Not in that situation. Damian Harris is the only guy I even have ranked in a position where you would contemplate putting him into your lineup. And that's at RB33 in half-point leagues, meaning I have him as an RB3, so I have him as a potential flex guy that you might consider. 
That's it. I'm not considering anybody else on New England Patriots side. I'm just not. Unfortunately, you have the Rams defense, which is a legit defense. They're for real. They're a top they're a top notch squad and they're playing like it right now and they're leaning on that defense to win games. This isn't going to be the Chargers from last week where the Patriots could get away with having almost zero offensive production outside of a couple of canned touchdowns because that's what it was. He only had 69 yards passing. Damian Harris wasn't much of a factor. He had an okay game, not a great game. Jacoby Myers wasn't a thing. Nikhil Harry, eh. Demir Bird, eh. They don't have good matchups against the Rams this week. It's not going to be the situation where their special teams can take over the game. This is a better coach team in the Rams than it is the Chargers. So at best, Damian Harris offers you a floor. But because of Cam Newton, that touchdown to make a ceiling option isn't there. It's just not there. That's the problem. So I don't know if there's a single Patriot player I want to play in your fantasy playoffs. If I can at all help it. Now, for the Rams, it's a little different scenario. We'll start off with the wide receivers, because that's the most clear-cut thing of all. I am still playing Robert Woods and Cooper Cup as wide receiver twos. The volume has been there as of late. No, neither one of them are having huge games. The ceilings do not, do not seem to reach the sky the way that they once did, especially last year, especially with Cooper Cup, who just hasn't scored touchdowns this season. Something very unlike him. But I still have Cooper Cup at the wide receiver 22. I still have Robert Woods at wide receiver 16 for the week. I still have him as solid wide receiver twos. Now, here's what I will say. While I have Cup ranked a little bit lower, he may have the bigger ceiling because he may have the bigger mismatch. I would imagine Stephon Gilmore will be on Robert Woods more so than Cooper Cup. And while you're, you know, you look at Bill Belichick, you look at New England, and you say to yourself, well, they usually like to take away the number one option. I don't know if they're truly, if you look at the target share, I don't know if there truly is a number one option with the Rams. They may not do that because Cooper Cup and Robert Woods have been so evenly utilized between the two. But I think Cup has the bigger mismatch away from Stephon Gilmore. But this Patriots defense up until last week has been a defense that you really haven't been afraid of this season. And I don't think you should start being afraid of it now. The running back scenario is what's very interesting in this game. And I'm pretty sure that I'm going to have a different take on this situation than almost anybody out there. Because everybody out there is telling you that if you're going to play a Rams running back, especially now it looks like Malcolm Brown is not going to play tonight, it's going to be just down to Cam Akers and Dale Henderson. They all want to tell you it's Cam Akers because he had 21 carries last week. People seem to want to write off the fact that Daryl Henderson missed a big chunk of that game due to the knee injury and wasn't 100% at any point in that game. Still came in at the end and scampered off for a 38-yard touchdown. Nobody wants to recognize the fact that without Andrew Whitworth, this offensive line creates no push. Cam Akers ran the ball for 21 times. He still only had 3.8 yards of carry. It wasn't good. He ran hard. He got in for the he got in for the touchdown at the goal line. He looks like he's going to be a real deal someday. I don't question the talent at all. But the offensive line is so horrendous that there's not a lot of running room for either one of these guys. So ultimately, if I could avoid playing a Rams running back tonight, 
I would, because ultimately, while I would want to own Daryl Henderson and Cam Akers, both of these guys should be owned, I'm using tonight's game in hopes that I can make it to the next round to see if I can play one of these guys next week, to see how this rotation between the two of them without Malcolm Brown can break down, and to see who's truly the lead back. Darren Henderson's been able to practice all week. Cam Akers came out with a shoulder injury. Now, he's definitely going to play. We're not worried about that in, in that sense. But Darren Henderson may be the more healthy-ish back in this game, sort of. We talked about J.K. Dobbins a couple of weeks ago and how I felt like, you know, I was one of the few saying that just because Dobbins got 18 carries in that game doesn't mean off of one game we can suddenly crown him the lead back for that backfield moving forward when we have a season-long worth of data supporting a three-man rotation. What do we get on Tuesday when they, when they came back off of COVID? It wasn't just a three-man rotation. It was a four-man rotation. Because Justice Hill, on every third five and longer, was the, pa- was the passing down back. He was in there on third downs. It, was, it wasn't even J.K. Dobbins. So now, are you telling me that Dobbins doesn't even have any passing value, that it's 100% rushing value? And while he got a couple more carries than the other three, all three backs were involved. And it wasn't even a series-by-series basis. It was one snap for you, one snap for you, one snap for you, and just went down the line. Point is, it went back to a rotation. You can't base your data off of one game when you have a season-long worth of data supporting something completely different. The same thing goes with the Rams. Now, like I said, with Malcolm Brown out of the equation here, it does help solidify touches for both Daryl Henderson and Cam Akers. So therefore, you have a little bit higher of a floor for both of these guys. Now, that's the question. Which is, I'm glad Malcolm Brown is out because now here's the time, this is the game, where we are finally going to be able to figure out which one of these guys is it really. Is it the injury? Because Daryl Henderson started that game. Is it, was it the injury that let Cam Akers take over? Or are they starting to get Cam Akers to take over as they get closer and closer to the playoffs as the bigger back, as the more powerful back heading into December and January? It's a question that we don't really have the answer to until we actually get to see it. So that's why I preferably would not play a Rams running back tonight. I would like to let that work itself out if I have other options. If I'm choosing between the two, I'm still choosing Darren Henderson. There has not been a game yet this season, or at least since the beginning of the year when Henderson first became the quote-unquote starter, that he has not started, including last week. If he doesn't get a knee injury, Cam Akers doesn't get 21 touches. Don't overreact to one game. We talk about that a lot, too. Don't overreact to one game. Jared Goff himself, of the, I mean, of him and Cam Newton, obviously Goff is the one I would rather play. I have him at quarterback 16. You should have a better option for your playoff matchups than a Jared Goff this particular week. He has been playing a little bit better as of late, but this isn't a game I'm looking at as, oh, yeah, this is where you enter top 12 potential by any stretch of the means. And being that we no longer have teams on by, and as far as the quarterback position goes, there aren't too many injuries that you have guys that you are actually depending upon. I think you should be able to have a better option than a Jared Goff. So let's talk about the next game. Let's talk about our first Sunday matchup. Houston Texans and the Chicago Bears. And we'll start on the Texans side of the ball as they are the away team. Deshaun Watson 
I know the Chicago Bears have been a little bit of a leaky sieve the last couple of weeks. Against Detroit, against Green Bay. They haven't looked like the Chicago Bears defense that we saw for most of the season to this point. They're getting healthier. And this is in Chicago. It's in the Windy City. Texans just came off of a hard loss to a division rival. If Deshaun Watson helped you get to the playoffs, you're not going to move off of Deshaun Watson. But I also do not have Deshaun Watson in my top 12 this week. I don't. He's number 14 for me. Now, again, if you had Deshaun Watson, you've rid him there, I would be hard-pressed to say to not play him. Because he could use his legs. He can make things happen. He could still get you inside the top 10. We're not disputing that. This is a matchup where I expect the Chicago Bears defense to bounce back, not playing a divisional opponent, being back at home. They are better than what they've shown the past couple of weeks. The offensive line for the Houston Texans is terrible. They don't have a lot of weapons. I know Kiki Kute just had a great game. And while he's definitely somebody that I felt like you should pick up because they play the Colts next week mostly, see him do it again against their slot receiver because the slot receiver is the one you attack against the Colts. It wasn't for this game. Brandon Cooks taking over the Will Fuller role, which is not the role that I think he plays best in. I do have a wide receiver 24 because he's guaranteed a slate of targets his way. And after watching Marvin Jones have a good game, it gives you some hope that Brandon Cooks, as long as he doesn't have another head injury during the game, might be able to give you a decent return. But it's not a matchup I'm looking to target. Let's talk about that for a quick second, by the way. How did Brandon Cooks get back in that game? I don't know how I don't know how this guy he was clearly knocked out for half a second. He went limp on the hit. How did he clear concussion protocol? A guy who has concu- a concussion history. And honestly, I was half expecting the one Wednesday, the practice report, to hear that he got entered into concussion protocol after the fact. He didn't. So it looks like he's going to be good to go. That was crazy to me. And I'm sorry, I don't have him wide receiver 24. I have him wide receiver 34. I have him as a wide receiver 3. I don't think Houston's going to have a good time being able to move the ball in the cold outside in the Windy City with a Bears defense that is better than what they've shown the past couple of weeks and getting healthier. I don't see it. I have low ceilings on a lot of these guys. David Johnson, RB24. He's in a situation where he's a running back that you know is going to get a particular amount of volume. You know he's going to get 16 to 18 touches. That makes you pretty much an RB2 right now. Because there aren't many running backs left. There aren't. We may not have Josh Jacobs this week. We may have. We may not have, or we not, not that we may not have, we know we're not going to have a Joe Mixon again this week, maybe for the rest of the season. We'll talk about all that stuff later. The only Houston Texan that I'm looking to play, or excited to play, I should say, is Jordan Atkins. I have him as my fifth-ranked tight end of the week. His target share has been going up. We knew it would, especially with Will Fuller out. He has red zone capabilities, and that's the one position that Chicago's really struggled with all season long is the tight end. Tight ends have done well. Jordan Atkins will be used in this game and could, in some senses, be the saving grace for Deshaun Watson and his floor without, without counting his legs, which I think he's going to have to use quite a bit in this game to move the ball. 
I don't have a good feeling about Houston this week. It makes me a little leery when it comes to guys like Cooks and David Johnson and Kiki Kuti, the people that are looking to play these guys. Expect lower ceilings. Expect a bounce back from Chicago. Now, on the offensive side of the ball for the Bears, a lot of people have been asking me this week about, is Trubisky a stream? And my retort to that is no. I know it's Houston on paper. Would I be shocked if Trubisky had a good fantasy day? No, I wouldn't be shocked. Am I going to sit there and trust to play Trubisky in my first round of my playoff matchups? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. There are so many guys with such a higher floor. And because he's Trubisky, because he finds ways to turn over the ball, especially playing in leagues where it's you know minus a couple points for turnovers, there's no way. There's no way there's not a better option. I'd rather have a Kirk Cousins. I'd rather have a Matthew Stafford. I'd rather have a, a slew of guys in front of a Mitchell Trubisky this week. I have him down at QB20 on the week. And remember, you can always check out these rankings at bellyupfantasysports.com. We have all the scoring formats up there for you, half point, full point, standard. We talk about half point when we talk about the rankings on this show. The good thing about Trubisky, and I've talked about this over the past couple of weeks, is what he does for the guys that you actually want to depend on for the Chicago Bears for fantasy football purposes. David Montgomery. He's an RB1 in my eyes this week. First of all, it's not just Trubisky with David Montgomery over the past couple of weeks. Since he's come back from the injury, he's simply running harder. He's running like a guy who has a fire under his seat. And I don't know if he suddenly woke up, smelled the coffee, and and suddenly realized, like, hey, you know what? If I don't do something this year, Chicago's going to move on. And if Chicago moves on, because he's been fairly unimpressive, the odds of another team giving him a shot at actually being their bell cow running back are going to slide out the window. And all of a sudden, he's running like a guy who knows his career as a starting running back in the league is potentially on the line. And then having Trubisky, which you can run the RPO options off of, which create lanes because you have to account for his mobility, have been opening up some holes that the Bears' offensive line with Nick Foles wasn't being able to open before. Plus, it's Houston. We all know Houston's a magical land for running backs to go play against. David Montgomery's an RB1 in my eyes. I have him as RB6 on the week. Should also give you a hint if you're playing DFS, David Montgomery's probably a good value for you this week. Allen Robinson's a wide receiver one for me this week. I got him at wide receiver five. He's getting targeted in the red zone more frequently since Trubisky has taken back over. He's getting targeted in general more frequently since Trubisky is getting is taken back over. And he's actually getting targeted where it matters. Places where he can actually catch the ball. Where Nick Foles is just throwing it up in the double coverage against Houston. Robinson's been coming on strong as of late. Love me some Allen Robinson this week. So when it comes to Trubisky, it just it's good because now David Montgomery is returning the investment that you had in him, which has been frustrating all season long. While he's been an RB2 all season long, it's been like banging your head against the brick wall because it's been the most boring RB2 performance the entire season because there's been no ceiling, no pops, but at the same time, he always does just well enough that you can't bench the guy. But now, all of a sudden, the last two weeks, he's had RB1 performances. He's in line as long as Trubisky stays starting quarterback, and it's so key that he does. 
David Montgomery's in line to finish out the rest of the season as an RB1 each and every week because of the schedule that they have in front of them. Same thing goes for Allen Robinson. So that's where it's important. Anybody else outside the Chicago Bears, I'm not too interested in. The only note that I want to make to you guys is that when it comes to the tight end position, Cole Komet is now the lead tight end. It's not Jimmy Graham anymore, in case, in case you missed the memo. It was a couple of weeks ago where he outsnapped him. This past week, he outperformed him, got into the end zone. It's clear they're trying to get Cole Komet to develop as they move into next season. So just a quick tidbit there. I do not have Komet ranked in tight end streaming territory this week. But just an idea there because I know Jimmy Graham is somebody who's been on people's rosters here and there throughout the year. So just know that he's not the starting tight end for this team anymore. Let's move into the Dallas-Cincinnati game. And we'll start off with Cincinnati because we'll just talk about the Joe Mixon thing real quick. I really hope you guys out there in MD Nation heeded my advice when it was back when it was week 12 and we were at the trade deadlines. And I said to you, this injury smells a lot like what happened with A.J. Green last year where they never wound up bringing A.J. Green back. And with Joe Mixon, they have a more long-term investment in the guy to be their franchise running back moving forward, which put you know extra salt in the wound, I guess you could say, the fantasy owners about him actually being able to return. This was the week. They put him on the IR. The report was going on the IR that once he was done with the IR, he was expected to be fully healed enough where they would want to bring him back and that he wanted to come back. It was this week or never. It was week 14 or forget it for the rest of the season. Zach Taylor comes out on a Wednesday and rules out Joe Mixon. Doesn't even leave it up for discussion. Doesn't even wait to see how the practice week goes. Came out right away. Bam. Joe Mixon's out. All that indicates to me is there's no way Joe Mixon's coming back. Why would he come back with three games left in the season. Because now the soonest he can come back is next week. Why would he come back with three games left in the season with the, with the state that this team is in? The only chance that I was hoping maybe fantasy owners out there of Joe Mixon had was that Zach Taylor is rumored and probably true in position that he needs to coach for his job. And he needs to make something look good offensively to make the argument that he should still be the coach with Joe Burrow and Joe Mixon and T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd moving forward into next season. He's on the hot seat. That was the only thing that I think gave any Joe Mixon owners hope that maybe if Joe Mixon was up to it, that they would bring him back to try to get something going offensively. You are not going to bring back Joe Mixon week 15 against the Pittsburgh Steelers in a lost season. You're not going to do it. You're not going to bring him back this year, period. Now, if he's sitting there on your IR and he's not hurting anything, then leave him there. But if you don't play, if you play in a league that doesn't have an IR and he's been sitting on your bench and he's taking up a roster spot and you need a roster spot right now, don't be afraid to drop him because he's not coming back. Don't be afraid to drop him. Now, what does that mean for Gene Mike Bernard? I know everybody just watched that game on Tuesday. And they just watched the Baltimore Ravens run all over the Dallas Cowboys. I'm hoping that we can all agree and have the common sense to recognize that the Cincinnati Bengals are not the Baltimore Ravens. That that offensive line, especially now with minus Jonah Williams, is so horrendous, which is a big reason why Gene Bernard's done literally nothing. 
except for the first two weeks that he came in for Joe Mixon. That's it. Outside of that, nothing. Now, we also have the element of what's going on with the quarterback situation. We do not believe at this point that it's going to be Brandon Allen. It should be Ryan Finley as a starting quarterback right now because of the injury to Brandon Allen at the moment. That's what we're anticipating anyway. We'll, we'll get more clarification, but that's, that's the way it's trending. Ryan Finley, the only good thing I can say that he brings to the table is the fact that he will check the ball down to Giovanni Bernard. It's the only good thing I can say. It doesn't help the running game. Bernard's still going to be wildly inefficient. He's going to be a guy who gets 12 to 13 carries and still go for maybe 40 yards. But he hasn't been involved in the passing game, and that's what's been killing him since he's been coming in for Joe Mixon. That's what you were depending on. You were depending on him to be involved at least in the passing game, which is his best skill set as a running back, frankly, is what gave him a floor. And then if he scores a touchdown on top of it, you're actually looking at a pretty good day. That's why a lot of people still have Gino Bernard ranked as their RB2. I do not. He's my RB34. He's a flex option in my eyes. Because that offensive line has been so bad. They can't move the ball against anybody. And unless Ryan Finley comes out, and I do think this might be a possibility. It's my one caveat to this ranking. If Ryan Finley comes out and throws the ball five to seven times at Gino Bernard because he's a check down type of quarterback, then Bernard might have more of a floor this week than he's had over the past few. But either way, you don't have a ceiling here. And are you really going to take the chance on a guy that you're hoping maybe has more of a floor this week because there might be more extra targets heading his way? I know on paper it's a great matchup for the running back. But the Cincinnati Bengals aren't like the rest of the league right now. So Bernard, to me, is a floor flex play if you just... He's a good COVID option. Let's put it that way. He's a good COVID option. Not an option I actually want to ride and die with in my playoff matchups, if I can at all help it. It's the only caveat I have is he might have more of a floor because Ryan Finley checks the ball down more. As far as the receivers go, Tyler Boyd, T. Higgins, they're low-end wide receiver threes in my eyes. Boyd a little bit more so. Finley already kind of has a rapport with Boyd going back to last season. Again, being a short check-down type of quarterback, he's going to hit the slot receiver more times than not. It really hurts T. Higgins. It really hurts T. Higgins. Because those deep throws aren't going to be there. Those perimeter throws aren't going to be there as, as in abundance. Will he still get five to eight targets? Yeah, probably. But they won't be good five to eight targets. They won't be true five to eight targets. They'll be five to eight targets heading in his direction either as bubble screens or sailing over his head down the line of scrimmage. It's not going to be... A, it, they're wide receiver threes at best. I know T. Higgins is probably a big reason why a lot of people are in the playoffs. It's going to be hard to move off of them, especially when you got the Dallas Cowboys, which is a good matchup. Lower your expectations on that ceiling, though. And even Boyd, I have him at thir- wide receiver 35. I have T. Higgins at wide receiver 38. So T. Higgins, I actually have him as more of a high-end wide receiver 4 heading into this week. I don't care it as the Dallas Cowboys... I don't want to trust the Cincinnati Bengal offense. It just continues to get worse each game with each injury. I know Boyd had the big play last week and then got himself ejected. Like I said, Boyd's the only one that I, only wide receiver that I would think about playing because the targets might be there in half point, full point PPR leagues. In the standard leagues, I'm not touching these receivers. As far as the Dallas Cowboys side of things go, Ezekiel Elliott. He actually impressed me against the Baltimore Ravens. No Zach Martin. The Ravens had Campbell and Brandon Williams back, although it clearly looked like Campbell was not close to being 100% yet. 
However, he still had some success running the football, and I would say more success than you know he's had consistently over the past eight weeks. So I have him as RB11 this week. I have him as low-end RB1 in those 12-man leagues. It's the Cincinnati Bengals. It's going to be a much easier matchup than what we saw against the Baltimore Ravens. And even though Tony Pollard was involved to some degree last week, Zika Elliott still got his touches. I don't see why he doesn't again this week. So I actually have some confidence with this matchup for Ezekiel Elliott to be able to perform as at least a low-end RB1 for you. So that should give you guys some hope, some silver lining on a guy that's been widely disappointing as your top first-round pick if you've been able to make it this far with him. Mari Cooper is still going to be my highest-ranked wide receiver, even though it was Michael Gallup who actually saw the most targets last week. Gallup will still be my odd man out at the end of the day. It just hasn't been consistent enough. I don't think you're going to play him in your playoffs. But I do have Amari Cooper at wide receiver 18. It's a good matchup. I think you're going to see the Dallas offense, who in all honesty, played pretty well considering what they've been, not having Zach Martin, against a Baltimore Ravens defense that was getting mostly healthy and fired up after the crazy week that they had and had Lamar Jackson back and defense who got run over for 300 yards rushing. I thought the offense of the Dallas Cowboys actually played pretty well. I thought Andy Dalton is definitely looks a lot more comfortable over the past couple of weeks than we saw earlier on when he took over for Dak Prescott. He definitely looks like he's much more comfortable back there. Now, he himself, I'm not streaming him this week, but it does open up the door for, like I said, Amari Cooper to be a wide receiver too, and then also C.D. Lamb coming in for the first time in a while for me back into the wide receiver three range where I would feel okay about playing him this week. So I actually have a good, it's a good situation. And I don't have crazy ceilings. I don't, I'm not going to have high expectations for these guys. But are they going to be solid pieces in your roster line, in your roster construction, in your lineups this week for your playoffs? Yeah, 100% they definitely can be. And that's the beauty of the Cincinnati Bengals. Let's move into our next matchup. Actually, before we do that, we actually need to take a quick break. We'll come back on the other side. We still have a lot more games to preview, and we have a mailbag segment for you guys at the end of the show today. So everybody, please, just stay tuned right after this. It's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You're listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back, MD Nation. We are talking about the early week 14 matchup previews, the first week of your fantasy football playoffs on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network with the MD's Fantasy Football Show presented to you by Belly Up Sports. As always, I'm your host, Dan Mater. We have a lot more games to get to in a mailbag segment for you guys at the end. Remember, if you ever want to get on the mailbag segment or if you just need help with your roster lineups and this is the time that you need it, we are here for you. Just hit us up at BellyUpMDFFShow on Twitter and on Facebook and keep us keep those notification alerts up to date on Twitter because we have those player news update notifications coming out to you 24-7. We make sure that you guys have the edge over your opponents on your pathway to a championship. And we're continuing now on with the Kansas City Chiefs and the Miami Dolphins. This is going to have, you know, heavy, heavy, heavy fantasy football matchups in this game. Let's start off with the Kansas City Chiefs, shall we? Let's talk about Tyreek Hill. I'm a little worried about Tyreek Hill. I'm a little worried about Tyreek Hill because of what Kansas City Chiefs did with CEH last week. It sounds like Tyreek Hill might have whatever it is that Clyde Edwards-Alaire had a week ago. 
what it was a stomach virus, flu, whatever it is. He missed his practice yesterday with an illness. Luckily, I mean, I don't want to say luckily, but silver lining wise overall, at least it's earlier on in the week where Alaire, I believe it popped up on Thursday was the first day. So at least we know about this a little bit earlier on. Perhaps Hill will be more recovered than Alaire was. I remember Alaire recovered enough for them to at least activate him onto the roster come Sunday night. I know he screwed a lot of people. I get it. Here's what I'll, here's what I'll also say. If Tyreek Hill's activated, they ain't going to just leave him on the bench the way they did Alaire. He's not going to Tyreek Hill won't be activated for insurance purposes. Okay? That won't happen. It's a little bit different with Tyreek Hill. So, it's something that we have to monitor because we just kind of saw a bunch of fantasy owners get completely burned last week by how they handled Alaire's flu issues. But again, if Tyreek Hill's activated, he's in your lineup. They're not going to treat it the same way. I guarantee you they're not. Hopefully, though, it won't come down to that. Hopefully, by Friday or Saturday, we hear that Hill felt well enough to get out there on the practice field, at least on a limited basis. And I'm assuming that he will. Because, get this. Against Miami Dolphins, which is not a bad defense. I have three number one guys ranked on the Kansas City Chiefs. Patrick Mahomes is my number one ranked quarterback. Travis Kelsey, my number one ranked tight end. Shouldn't, shouldn't come as a shock to those two. But Tyreek Hill, my number one ranked wide receiver. He is healthy this season. And what I mean by that is, last couple of years, last year we know he missed six weeks. He was dealing with the shoulder injury. And then years before that, he would miss games here and there with a soft tissue injury. He's been healthy this season. No soft tissue issues. No shoulder issues. And you see it in his play. Tyreek Hill's always been the cheetah, right? He's always been quicker than everybody else in the field. He's on another level this season. It looks like you can't even get within the guy's bubble. That's how fast he looks. That's why he's been consistent this year. This is the first year that I can remember that Tyreek Hill has been consistent every single week. He's always been a guy who's been a wide receiver one, but there's been always been some boomer bust element to his game. Not this year. Double-digit targets. Lighting it up. Even last week, which, you go, which will go down as probably one of his worst fantasy weeks of the year. It was all because he had two touchdowns taken away. One, because he didn't realize he caught the ball in a crazy catch. And two, he had a big 50-yard touchdown taken away on a penalty. So even last week, he should have went over 100 yards and two touchdowns. He's on a different level this season. And I might have him as the wide receiver one the rest of the way. The rest of the way. Three number ones on one team. Kansas City Chiefs offense, they're back to what they were a couple years ago. And what's nice is that a couple years ago, it, like I said, Tyreek had a little bit boomer bust element to his game. They had to get Sammy, they were getting Sammy Watkins more involved a couple years ago. This year, it's it's all about the trio. It's all about Mahomes and Hill and Kelsey. You know where the targets are going. It's double digit targets every week for Hill and Kelsey. We'll sprinkle in everybody else. Watkins will get six to seven. Marcus Robinson will get four. Hardman will get two to three. And then the running backs as a unit might get five to seven. 
which they're rotating through as well. Let's talk about the running backs. Let's talk about Clyde Edwards-Lair. Got him at RB16 on the week. Some people seem to, like, they're so hurt and so burned by last week that they don't even, like, they're, like, almost don't want to play him, which makes no sense to me. He's 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 better now. He's not sick anymore. He's not an insurance policy by by role, by job description. That's not what he is. He's a starting running back at the Kansas City Chiefs. He's RB sixteen for me this week. You can run on the Dolphins. More importantly, screens should be available against the Dolphins because Brian Flores has been so aggressive, mostly because they have to be on defense because they don't have a natural pass rush. They have a pass rush that's generated by blitzing, by pressure, but they don't have a natural pass rush that they have to drop back and play zone coverage. Hopefully, if you're the Miami Dolphins fan, they're not going to change their game plan because they're playing the Kansas City Chiefs. Because if they do, they're going to get lit up. I know blitzing Patrick Mahomes doesn't always work out. It's better than sitting back on your heels and just waiting for him to pick you apart. It really is. However, if they stick with what their game plan has been for most teams this season, which is to be aggressive and to blitz, there should be some big screens available to Clyde Edwards-Alaire this week. I think we might see one of his better passing outputs this week than we've seen in a while. And the Dolphins are a team that you've been able to run on this season. I think the biggest thing, the biggest obstacle in his way from having a really, really good performance is the fact that it's Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid and the Kansas City Chiefs, and that's offensively, at the end of the day, what they're going to be, what they want to do. So will they at least make the effort to give CEH, you know, 16-plus carries, 18 or more opportunities altogether? I think that's more of the obstacle than who he's playing. Or what he's done this season. I'm playing Clyde Edwards-Alaire in my lineup. Playing him with the expectation that he'll be a solid RB2, but he does have a ceiling because this team just puts up points. And Le'Veon Bell had his chance last week to be the guy, and it wasn't overly impressive. It wasn't overly impressive. The Miami Dolphins side of things. I like Miles Gaskin a lot. Miles Gaskin, I have him as a very solid RB2. He's a guy we're not – from what it looks like right now, I don't know that Ahmed is going to be able to come back this week like we thought he was going to be. He still has not been cleared to practice with that shoulder injury for medical reasons. So I don't know if he comes back this week. I expect Miles Gaskin to again be the bell cow back and more importantly against the Kansas City Chiefs because of what he's able to do in the passing game. He's going to have a great floor. He should have a good game. Because he's game, he's game script proof. Even if they get blown out by three touchdowns in the first half, then they're just going to be dumping it off to Miles Gaskin, especially with Tua Tagovailoa as the quarterback. That's the other thing. I really am curious to see if Tua is the starting quarterback all the way through this game. They were willing to pull him a couple of weeks ago for Ryan Fitzpatrick in the fourth quarter. If he's playing game management style, if they don't have a conversation with him before this game starts to say, hey, Go be aggressive. Go get the job done. Because if he plays this game manager style that they've been having him play since he's been the starting quarterback, they don't have a prayer against the Kansas City Chiefs. you got to be willing to throw the ball down the field. you got to be willing to hit your perimeters. you got to be willing to give them chances to make plays. you got to be willing to put up points. Your defense is not going to be able to keep you in this game. It's not going to happen. So I almost question whether or not Tua plays the entire game. 
Devontae Parker is my wide receiver 30. He's a wide receiver 3. Because assuming Tua Tagovailoa does play the entire game, we know that he doesn't give Parker the same opportunities that Ryan Fitzpatrick does. And while on paper, Parker winds up being the most targeted guy, it's usually in the red zone, not a lot between the 20s, because Tua is not looking to push the ball down too much. And Kansas City is pretty good against perimeter wide receivers. Or at least good enough in this situation that you have to lower your expectations for a ceiling. Now, if Ryan Patrick were to take over in the second half, and if I could 100% predict that and know that, I would change my tune. Devontae Parker would become a wide receiver too. Because I know in that situation, come hell or high water, Fitzpatrick's going to throw the ball up to Parker. But while I have my suspicions that might happen, I'm not going to project that to happen. Can't. So Parker comes in as a wide receiver three. He's a worthy flex play. There is a ceiling here because of the potential game script, because of the volume that might need to be had in the passing game, because the Dolphins are not going to be able to play conservative this entire game. But I haven't liked what I saw with Tua on the field between those two and what his fantasy value is as a result of that. It's too touchdown dependent. Mike Isicki, when you're looking at tight ends, you're looking at the potential game script here, and you're looking at the fact that tight ends have been a mismatch for Kansas City for the most part this season. Mike Isicki comes in at tight end 13 for us. He had a nice week last week. It's the first really good week he's had in a while, though. But with no Preston Williams again, the targets are still going to be mostly divided up between Parker and Gesicki. We'll have a little grant here and there, but nothing fantasy worthy of. The way he's played as of late, you, you put him at the tight end 13. He's a streaming option to go with. And I would say he has a decent ceiling in this game because of the expected game script. Because of the fact the Dolphins are going to have to put up points. And if two is not going to attack the perimeter, well, that means he's going to throw it over the middle of the field. And that should be Mike Kosicki territory. It's no, it's no secret that I'm not a big fan of the guy, the player. But when you're in a situation that you should be looking at 8 to 10 targets potentially in this game, the way it sets up for a tight end, makes you a hell of a value. But that's it. I'm not, I'm not looking at anything else from the Miami Dolphins. So let's move on. Let's talk about the Arizona Cardinals and the New York Giants in this game. Can the New York Giants pull off another upset against an NFC West opponent who's supposed to be superior? Can they do it again? Can their defense play the way it played against Seattle, against Arizona? I think the answer to the question is, yes, they can. I don't know if they will. Start with the Arizona side of the ball from a fantasy perspective. Kyler Murray is my QB7. Maybe this is the week that his shoulder finally rebounds and he's able to throw the ball down the field with some confidence. We haven't seen it yet. It took a pissed off, fired up, in his butt, DeAndre Hopkins last week to finally get him to target him the ball. DeAndre Hopkins went silent on us for a few weeks there, and it's all because Kyler Murray's shoulder, and he wasn't looking to push the ball down the field, and he suddenly wasn't targeting DeAndre Hopkins at the anywhere near the clip that he should be. DeAndre Hopkins got pissed off last week. What happened? Oh, Hopkins finished the game with 13 targets all of a sudden in a good game. Shouldn't take that for the one of the best wide receivers in the league to finally get featured again. 
And while James Bradbury has done an admirable job on some wide receiver ones this year, I still don't look at him as an elite corner. He's having a great year. There's no doubt about that. I don't don't want to take anything away from James Bradbury because he has been playing really, really well. I am not fearful for DeAndre Hopkins because of James Bradbury, though. Again, this is another instance where I think the biggest obstacle for this player when it comes to fantasy football purposes is his own team and his own quarterback. After last week, it's hard for me to imagine that there's not going to be an added emphasis on the idea that DeAndre Hopkins is going to get targeted double-digit times. Having said that, I still question how deep down the field they can be. Even last week, you take the 13 targets. Still only an average depth of target of about 8 yards eight yards or so. Kyler Murray's still not looking to sling it down the field. His shoulder's still obviously bothering him. Like I said, I don't know if this is the week where he finally recovers and it feels better. It's an AC joint sprain, usually about 3 to 4 weeks. Now that's with rest, though, and he hasn't really been resting it. So maybe it lingers a little bit longer. We'll see. I just got some news now. I, I, I'm not going to hit the breaking news sounder. But I do feel like I need to mention this before we continue on with the Arizona Cardinals conversation. Um, the, the news coming out right now is that Des Bryant had a false positive. Let's uh, <laughs> let's take that in for a moment. Let's just talk about that first place. Like, it's not really fantasy relevant, but it's just something that with the way that all went down, Des Bryant looking forward to being out there against his former team as a Baltimore Raven on Tuesday, gets pulled out minutes before the game starts as he's warming up on the field because he was told he had an inconclusive test and then a test that tested positive, and now he finds out. To, oh, and let, I mean, get to that. Let's tweet out the fact that he said, he's like, I can't handle it. Tweets out that he's going to quit. We all f- kind of figured it's more about emotion than anything else, but now we're going to find out that he had a false positive after all. <laughs> I just feel bad for the guy. I really do. I just feel bad for the guy. It's something I just felt like we needed to mention before we moved on here. Now, actually, I do have some news that we do need to hit the breaking news sounder on because this is very fantasy relevant. Breaking news. Christian McCaffrey is not practicing. He tweaked his quad last week. He was limited yesterday with a thigh issue. Matt Roll made a note that it tightened up on him during practice yesterday. As of right now, now this is the media portion of the practice. We're early on the practice, so it doesn't mean he won't practice at all. But as of right now, he's not out there. He's not practicing. So we haven't gotten to that game yet, but a guy who's highly anticipated to come back this week is not practicing on a Thursday with an injury that sounds like may have had a setback yesterday. That means he'll very much be questionable to actually make his return again week 14. Have Mike Davis on the ready. Because this this might change in a heartbeat. We'll talk about that game uh, in a little bit more. And one last thing, because we talked about it earlier on in the show, the Bears have gotten the green light to go ahead and practice today. So that's some good news there for the Bears. All right, so let's get back to the Arizona Cardinals situation. Ultimately, I have DeAndre Hopkins ranked at wide receiver 13 because I still question his ceiling, because I still question whether or not Kyler Murray is healthy enough to throw the ball down the field right now. Although I do think the double-digit targets will be there after last week and what how that all went down. I do think there's going to be an emphasis to make sure Hopkins is getting the ball one way or another, and I don't really care about the James Bradbury one-on-one shadow matchup. That's not going to be the obstacle in my way, but as a DeAndre Hopkins owner. 
Outside of that, <clears throat> Kenyon Drake, wide res- uh, running back 18 for me this week. Good chance for a touchdown. I know the Giants have been pretty stingy, especially up the middle against running backs as of late. But again, he's been a little bit more involved in the passing game, again, due to Kyler Murray's injury to some degree. He also hasn't been running, Kyler Murray, that is, as much. So it's been also leading to these RPOs being handed off more and more to Kenyon Drake rather than Kyler Murray kind of ripping it out from under him and taking it away. I know he only had 10 carries last week. Did come away with a touchdown. I'd be hard-pressed to find 24 running backs that are better than Kenyon Drake, though, which is why he comes in at running back 18 for me, which is why he's a running back, too. I think you still got to play him. You still got to play him. And you just hope he gets in the end zone, which he's been doing a little bit better of lately because, again, Kyler Murray hasn't been running as much lately since he's, again, since he sustained the shoulder injury. He's been kind of playing a conservative with his body. And it's led to a big fantasy effect on everything else because now... Drake and Hopkins and Murray are the only fantasy-relevant players in my mind. Before, we were having an instance where Christian Kirk was becoming a wide receiver three with a huge ceiling. Now, I don't think you can play him. I don't think you can play him until you know Murray's 100%. Let's talk about the Giants' side of the ball. Daniel Jones was able to come back on a limited capacity yesterday at practice. We're still waiting to hear what the practice report's going to be today. We'll have that out for you at BellyUpMDFF Show on Twitter. Right now, I have Colt McCoy ranked as the starting quarterback. Now, whoever the quarterback is for the Giants, it doesn't matter. You're not streaming them anyway. It affects what the wide receivers can and can't do, though. If Daniel Jones is in the game, then all of a sudden, there's going to be more throws down the field. Darius Slayton might actually get involved. Sterling Shepard might get targeted, you know, two yards more past line of scrimmage, or at least more than twice. Last, last week, he had, what, one catch or 22 yards? Passing game in general will take a little bit of a step up if Daniel Jones is at the starting quarterback position. With Colt McCoy, we know what we're going to get. We're going to get checked down City. We're going to get a heavy emphasis on the running game. And you have to limit the ceiling expectations for an Evan Ingram, who's been a guy that has kind of worked his way back into that 12-ish area as a tight end because of the volume that he's been seeing. And you know Gallman's going to get checked down out of the backfield. And you know Sterling Shepard, more times than not at least, or theoretically, <laughs> I guess you could say, should be the number one wide receiver. So that's how it affects things. The only person who doesn't get affected in my mind, one way or another, is Wayne Gallman. I know Devonta Freeman is working his way back soon. Whether or not that'll be this week, we'll see. Either way, with the way Gallman's played, I can't see how he loses the starting running back job for the rest of the season, regardless of Freeman's availability. I can't see how. The guy's played great. He's been tremendous in every single game. He's either scored or going over 100 yards. And while it's not a great matchup on paper against the Arizona Cardinals, this is the big factor as to why Wayne Gallman's been doing so well over the past almost, actually probably over a little over a month now. That young offensive line that was struggling early on in the year because they had no training camp, they had no offseason program, they're a young offensive line again. But I never questioned the talent that they have. The talent was there. They spent a lot of high draft picks on this offensive line. The talent's been there. It was going to be a matter of putting it together, and if they could, they're putting it together lately. You're seeing it on the field. The Giants' offensive line is blowing people off the ball, and it's what's opening up 
Wayne Gallman to be a consistent RB2 performer week in and week out. And while the Cardinals are not a great matchup on paper, it's not a run, it's not like it's the Tampa Bay run defense or the Saints run defense or the Ravens run defense where I'm going to sit there and be like, I have to knock you down a peg. No. Is it the Cincinnati Bengals? Is it the Seattle Seahawks? No. But it's not much better. The offensive line is playing really impressive to me, especially when it comes to run blocking over the past month or so. I feel pretty good about Wayne Gallman and his RB2 opportunities this game. In fact, he's the only fantasy-relevant player on this team that I feel really good about. Everybody else? Eh. I'm going to see if I have a better option to go with. So now we can get into the Minnesota game and we can talk about the Tampa Bay Buccaneer game. Here's the interesting note about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and I've talked about this in the show over the past couple of weeks. They have not been playing to their true nature when it comes to their defense. They haven't been. Todd Bowles, by nature, is a man-to-man cover, aggressive, exotic, blitzing guy on a over 50% basis. They haven't played like that over the past three games, I believe, now. I don't know why, but they went to this soft zone coverage where they don't blitz a lot. They don't play as much man-to-man. And they've been torched as a result in the secondary. Carlton Davis is a man-to-man corner. Now I know he got I know he got beat up bad against Tyreek Hill, but you know, that we're gonna put that, we're gonna crumple that up and throw it out away. As one of those just crazy outlier things. He's a man-to-man corner. He's a physical corner. He wants to beat you up the line of scrimmage. Devin White, Levante David, that defensive line, you're set up to be aggressive. You're set up to play behind the line of scrimmage. I truly believe that coming out of the bye week, we're going to see Tampa Bay's defense adjust their mindset back to what we saw earlier on the season, which is when we thought you couldn't do anything against Tampa Bay's defense. We thought you couldn't pass the ball or, or run the ball. Now, you still haven't been able to run the ball. You haven't. And as for Dalvin Cook is in, I think, for a heck of a... I, I have Dalvin Cook ranked at RB5. Now, the amazing thing about Dalvin Cook is that ranking Dalvin Cook as the fifth running back overall this week is, is ranking Dalvin Cook at his floor. I mean, it's like, oh, you're Tampa Bay, you're going to have a floor game. You're, but your floor is still RB5. <laughs> That's just how crazy amazing that this guy is and how how much he's involved in the game. And, and Alexander Madison is going to be out again. He's going to be out again with his illness. Uh, appendectomy, I believe it is. He'll be out with that. So the idea, again, of, oh, let's get Dalvin Cook some rest, again, is going to go by the wayside after having 38 touches last week with no Alexander Madison back there. You're going to have the same situation again this week. So you're never going to bench Dalvin Cook, but, you know, is the RB1 ceiling, is that in the cards this week? Probably not. Probably not. So will that lead you to maybe taking more of a chance with a boomer bust type of player at your flex, your wide receiver three perhaps? It might. It depends on what your opponent has. You know, make sure you look at that. What what's your way what you think your opponent's ceiling to floor ratios are? And if their ceiling just seems a lot higher than yours, especially with Dalvin Cook playing against Tampa Bay, where you know you can't maybe depend on him being the RB one of the week, maybe that'll lead you to taking more of a shot on somebody who has a wider range of outcomes in your wide receiver three or your flex position. 
That's why it's always important. People have, just not to give too much of a, a tangent here, but when you're talking about fantasy sports, especially fantasy football, and people ask this all the time, like, why do you bother telling us about, you know, the elite guys, like the Patrick Mahomes, the Derrick Henrys, the Dalvin Cooks, uh, you know, Michael Michael Thomas last year, Devontae Adams this year, Tyree Kill this year. Like, why do you bother telling us that you have them as must plays or as top five options? The reason why we, we tell you from a week to week is, is one, to make note of, you know, how good they are, but two, if they're in a tougher matchup where maybe their ceiling is not the number one at their position that particular week, if that's maybe not in the range of outcomes because of who they're playing against, where you could actually expect some limitations on these great players, that can dictate what, how the rest of your lineup sets up. And the areas where you have decisions to make with the flex or the wide receiver threes or the RB twos, and you're debating between these players who have a good floor to a better ceiling type of performances depending on how your elite guys stack up this week, what their range of outcomes are, what their matchups are, can kind of dictate maybe what this kind of decision you need to make on the rest of your roster construction for that given week. So it affects how you play the game. It affects your fantasy lineup, even when these elite guys are the elite guys and you're going to play them no matter what. It doesn't change how whether or not you're going to play them, but it affects your expectations for your lineup overall that particular week, and it may lead to you making a different decision or needing to make a different decision somewhere else in your lineup. That's why it's important. I get asked that question a lot too, especially from beginners who are just trying to and it's not, you know, it's not to be sarcastic or anything. They're they're asking to try to understand, you know, why do you guys make a note of this? That's why. It can affect a lot of other things in your lineup. So Dalvin Cook not having necessarily the RB1 be in his range of outcomes this week could affect maybe you wanting to take more of a chance on a, you know, a higher ceiling type of wide receiver three. That's why we make note of it. I just wanted to bring that up because that's a question I've been asked quite a bit over the past few weeks. As far as this game goes, you know, outside of Dalvin Cook, let's talk about Adam Thielen, let's talk about Justin Jefferson and Kirk Cousins, and then my theory that Tampa Bay is going to bounce back to what we saw earlier on the season and get more aggressive, which I think will lead to better things for the Tampa Bay defense, worse things for the, for the Minnesota Viking offense in this instance. Let's say that doesn't, let's say my theory doesn't come to pass. Let's say they stick to more of what we've seen over the past three weeks leading into their bye week, which is more of the softer zone, lean on their defensive line to shut down the running game and everybody else just try to work on not giving up the big play except for when you play against Tyreek Hill. Let's let's say that's the defense that we go with. That's what we've seen more of recently. Well, then Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson, I think, are going to be great plays. I have Adam Thielen ranked as the wide receiver 6 either way. I have Justin Jefferson's wide receiver 12. So I have them both actually inside the top 12s, making them both wide receiver 1s. The touchdowns have been there. Kirk Cousins has been very good as of late. Tampa Bay's secondary has been torched as of late. Not just against the Kansas City Chiefs either. They have been torched the past couple of weeks leading up into that. The the receivers, the quarterbacks have had good games. So all of that's there and opens up. So that, that's the only reason why I make the note of saying if from a philosophical schematic change comes to what we saw at Tampa Bay earlier in the season and th- in through this bye week, then those expectations that we would have for Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson and Kirk Cousins to have a really good game this week may not come to pass because we may see a change schematically from what we've seen recently with Tampa Bay. So I just want to make note of that. And I'm getting some notes here. We were talking about Tyreek Hill. He is back at practice today. So everybody should take a sigh of relief. He'll be good to go come uh, Sunday. We don't have to worry about this turning into another CEH uh, situation. 
So that, that's my only note to make of the Vikings. You're still playing Adam Thielen. You're still playing Justin Jefferson. And Kirk Cousins, I even have his QB 15, so he's arguably in the streaming territory. I would think and would rather have a different quarterback than Kirk Cousins in one quarterback leagues this week, though. But just something I want to make a note of. Now let's flip over to the Tampa Bay side of the ball. Great matchups for everybody involved going up against Minnesota. Tom Brady's a QB 6 for me this week. Mike Evans, wide receiver 14. While it seems like him and Brady throughout these games aren't always on the same page, the one thing that remains constant is that Brady doesn't isn't afraid to keep targeting Mike Evans over and over again, and especially in, number two, the red zone, which is the most important part of the field. Mike Evans has been in touchdowns. He hasn't gotten many yards, but he's getting touchdowns like crazy because Brady's just like, hey, you know what? I'm going to give you every chance available to score. And he has. Chris Godwin's my wide receiver, 15. Got the pins taken out of his finger. He's getting healthier and healthier as far as that goes. I think he's still the most dependable wide receiver from a target yards standpoint when it comes to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers operating out of the slot. Tony Brown's not a play. I don't think that should come as a shock to anybody. I think the real question is the running backs and the tight end situation. Let's talk about Gronk real quick. I don't have Gronk as a streaming tight end right now. Now, is it outside the realm of possibility that Gronk has a good game and a good matchup against Minnesota and scores? No, it's not outside the realm of possibility. But... With Antonio Brown, it's just been it's been hit or miss. Is it Gronk who's involved in the offense that week, or is Antonio Brown who's involved in the offense that week as far as the targets go on a consistent basis? That's kind of been the issue. And there's been some tight ends, especially as of late, who've kind of emerged with this expected target share that you can actually sink your teeth into right now, giving a lot of other guys, I believe, higher floors. So that's why I kind of shy away from playing Gronk this week if I can help it at the tight end position. Now let's talk about the running backs. I think there's a real chance here coming out of the bye week that we're going to see Ronald Jones maybe potentially dominate. Now, he'll never dominate when it comes to the passing down work because Leonard Fournette's still just better than he is in that capacity. But it seems as though... Bruce Arians and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have kind of conceded to the idea that right now Ronald Jones is just the more explosive, more physical, the better runner. And I think they've also conceded the idea that they need to get a running game going for Tom Brady to open up the rest of the passing game to actually have play action for him to play more natural to Tom Brady. They got to get that running game going. They are a team that wins when they're able to run the ball 18 to 20 times. They lose when they don't. And against the Minnesota Vikings, which is a good matchup here, I think Ronald Jones is actually in store for a good game. And it pains me to say because I'm not a Ronald Jones fan. I'm not. I think he's so inconsistent. I think he's a better runner than he is a running back. And that always bothers me when it comes to NFL players. But for this instance, Ronald Jones is my RB14 this week. So he's a high-end RB2 for me. I think there's a real chance we're going to see him run away with at least the carry workload of this team. And see them have a focus coming out of the bye week. I just think you're going to see Tampa Bay go back to the drawing board in a lot of instances. You're going to have a focus out coming out of the bye week to get the running game going with Ronald Jones. And I think if anything proved it from a few weeks ago when he had that bad fumble but still wound up with almost a 200-yard game, is that I think Bruce Arians has finally maybe moved on from this idea like, oh, the second you screw up, I'm pulling you out. You're done to me. You're right in the doghouse. The second you drop a pass, the second you fumble, the second you do anything, you're, you're in the doghouse. Because I think the ship has sailed on the idea of trying to get Leonard Fournette, which I think is what the game plan was from the beginning, to have him become the lead guy. I think the ship has sailed on that. Because he just hasn't been able to get it done as far as being a running back goes. As far as being explosive goes. Ronald Jones is the more explosive player. 
So I think there's a real chance we see a good game here out of Ronald Jones. I feel pretty confident. And I especially like his ceiling coming into this game against the Minnesota Vikings. We got a quick break. We got a couple more games to get to and a mailbag segment to close out the show. So everybody, please stay tuned right after these messages. It is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You're listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back to the show, MD Nation. You are listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, WWSRN, also presented to you by Belly Up Sports. I'm your host, Dan Mater. We've been talking about all the early window matchup games for Week 14, your first round of your fantasy football playoffs. we got a couple more games to talk about, and of course, we have the mailbag segment for you guys. In order to get on the mailbag segment, all you have to do is follow us and comment to us and ask us whatever your fantasy question may be at Belly Up MDFF Show on Twitter and on Facebook, and make sure you have the notifications up on Twitter because we have those player news update notifications coming to you 24-7 all the time. Of course, we have the rankings for you guys as well. Make sure you check that out before the game tonight, and they'll be updated for you guys all the way through the weekend up until Sunday morning, bellyupfantasysports.com. We have all the scoring formats up there for you as well. Just go to the rankings. Dan Mater, Ryan Hicks, Chris Pinto, we're all up there. You can go check check any one of us out for this show's purposes. Of course, I would prefer if you check me out, of course, Dan Mater. Uh, but all great resources, great website, all for your fantasy football purposes, and a lot of gambling content as well. So we're all about trying to make you money here off of sports when it comes to bellyupfantasysports.com. All right. We got a couple more games to talk about before we get to the mailbag segment and close out today's show. We got the Denver Broncos on tap. You got the Carolina Panthers. Let's start off with the Carolina Panthers side of the ball because we had to break that news earlier on the show about Christian McCaffrey not being seen at practice at the moment. I want to stress that right now it's only the media portion of the practice. It doesn't mean that he can't practice when they go behind closed doors, but it's usually an indication at the very least the player will be no better than limited. And because this was an injury that seemingly had a bit of a setback yesterday, There's a decent chance he does not practice today. He doesn't want to practicing today. He's a real question mark heading into Sunday. They're going to play save Christian McCaffrey. They have all season long. And while this might be devastating because people thought they were for sure going to have Christian McCaffrey off the bye week, week 14 for the first round of the playoffs, there's a real chance that you guys might have to fire up Mike Davis for another week here. We'll keep our eyes on it. We'll keep you up to date on it. But right now, Definitely some heavy question marks coming out of the Christian McCaffrey camp. As far as the rest of the Carolina Panthers, I mean, almost like, I'll say this. If McCaffrey does play, I had him as RB4 this week because how could you not? Even against the Denver Broncos, the guy's amazing. Uh, if he doesn't play, while I don't have these rankings made up right now as if he's not going to be active, Mike Davis would automatically become a low-end RB2. Now, it hasn't been great for Mike Davis over the past few weeks. The magic of his run had kind of worn off. A little bit here. And the Denver Broncos are not an easy matchup when you're trying to make things happen between the tackles. Now, with Mike Davis, does he always have that floor that establishes the RB2 because of what he can do in the passing game? 100%. Because he's going to get targeted. The offense is just built around being able to target the running back. But those days of him giving you, you know, what, near low-end one, RB1 type performances are behind him. And they're not going to come back in in what's not going to be an easy matchup against Denver Broncos here for the running back, running game. He'll still be a must-play if Christian McCaffrey does not go, though. He'll still be an RB2, but just a limited ceiling is all. In other news, 
when it comes to the Panthers because they've been dealing with COVID issues. They have injury issues, especially when it comes to the wide receivers. Now, we expect right now that Curtis Samuel will wind up playing this Sunday. He's also on the COVID list, but they were pretty clear and concise about him to kick off that he was a high-risk contact, that he himself did not test positive. Therefore, because it was also on Monday, I believe, is when that came down, he'll have five days to clear, so he can clear and still get a, a day or two of practice in before Sunday. We expect Curtis Samuel to be available for this game. DJ Moore, however, I have real questions about. Let's go back a couple of weeks to the Adam Thielen situation where it came out immediately that he tested positive and then that the next day he tested negative. And then we didn't hear anything official about it for the rest of the week and he wound up not playing that week. Keep in mind, the NFL has made this rule that teams do not have to inform if a player, in fact, has tested positive for COVID. They don't have to inform. They have to say they're on the COVID reserve list they don't have to tell anybody that he's, in fact, tested positive for COVID-19. I think that's what happened with Adam Thielen. Because here's the thing. If you test positive for COVID-19, you have to be in quarantine for seven days. I mean, we, we, and we should all be well-versed in this over the past few weeks having to deal with the Baltimore Ravens and all the issues that they had. And they actually announced all their guys that tested positive, whether they tested positive or not. They did make the announcements on that. So we had a clear, concise idea. With Adam Thielen... They tried to kind of, I think they tried to kind of keep it from us. And they, Mike Zimmer would be like, oh, we're not sure if Adam Thielen's going to play. They knew the whole time he wasn't going to play that week. They knew the whole time. And I think it's because they wound up being a positive test that third test around. Like I said, I can't know that for sure, but there's reading the tea leaves. Reading the tea leaves, this DJ Moore situation feels very similar to what we went through a couple of weeks ago with Adam Thielen, which is why I bring that up. He went on the COVID-19 reserve list. The only difference is we didn't actually get a clarification right away that DJ Moore had a positive test. But, and here's where you got to read between the lines. They came out and said right away that Curtis Samuel was a high-risk contact. They did no such thing for DJ Moore. They didn't say he tested positive, but they also did not say that he was a high-risk guy. It leads me to believe he tested positive. Which would mean... He has zero chance to play this week. Now, with DJ Moore, it's not the only issue he was dealing with. He also had an ankle issue that luckily did not wind up being as severe as it looked like it could have been when it happened on the field. But ultimately, I would move into this game with the idea that you're not going to have DJ Moore available. Ultimately, that's how I would look at it. Now, let's, let's, put it this, let's look at this game through that concept with the fantasy football perspective. If there's no DJ Moore, that means more targets for Robbie Anderson. You have to throw the ball, I believe, consistently against the Denver Broncos to move the ball consistently. Anderson's been good all year anyway. I have Robbie Anderson as a low-end wide receiver one this week against the Denver Broncos, especially if there's no DJ Moore, because he's going to look at double-digit targets. He's going to be solid. I think they're going to take some shots to him, and Curtis Samuel will be a guy who will be a low-end wide receiver three in my mind, especially if there's no DJ Moore, because he'll be leaned on more heavily in the offensive game as well. But I like Robbie Anderson a lot this week, especially if there's no DJ Moore. On the Denver Broncos side of things, I like Melvin Gordon. This is a good matchup against Carolina Panthers. They've had issues against running backs so far. Gordon's running really hard as of late. He's running like a guy who knows that his job, at least at one point, was on the line. Now, Philip Lindsay's kind of cooled off over the past few weeks. 
even though there's still touches to be there's still touches between the two of them. Last week was almost a 50-50 split as far as the carries go. The difference will always be that Melvin Gordon will always be more involved in the passing game than Philip Lindsay will be. But Gordon's been running really well as of late. This is a good match because Carolina Panthers. I got him as RB12. I got him as a low-end RB1, high-end RB2 because of how he's been able to run lately, because of, because of the fact that he's going to get five targets in this game minimum in the passing game. Because Drew Locke is back there and their offense, while Drew Locke's not good, at least with Drew Locke back there, their offense has a chance to move the ball. I have him as an RB12. I have him as a must-play for you guys this week. I think he's going to give you a solid output. As far as the wide receivers go, Tim Patrick's the only Denver Bronco wide receiver I really want to play. He's the only guy who has the 100-yard potential and the touchdown potential to go with it. I know Jerry Judy, with the exception of last week, has been pretty solid. But Drew Locke, is just, he's, it comes down to Drew Locke. I don't trust him as a quarterback. I don't trust him to get these guys involved the way they need to be involved. And ultimately, that's what it boils down to. So Tim Patrick's the only wide receiver, and I have him at wide receiver 25 this week, that I want to look to play. I like I love Jerry Judy. I like KJ Hamler. But Tim Patrick in the Cortland Sutton role is the only dependable role when it comes to Drew Locke as the quarterback. And Carolina's been pretty decent against wide receivers this year as well. Let's not forget that. Noah Fant, tight end 12. It hasn't been pretty. He hasn't had those big explosive games, but he's getting the targets. He's still a mismatch. He's still a low-end tight end one. I think you still got to play him in this one. Carolina's been actually pretty decent against the tight ends, too. So just not a high ceiling there, but I don't know how many better options you're really going to have available to you. Let's talk about our last game for the early window matchup, and this one's going to be pretty straightforward. It's Tennessee Titans and the Jacksonville Jaguars. Fire up every single fantasy-relevant player for the Tennessee Titans. That includes if he plays Daniel Smith. Now, he's questionable. We don't have Janu Smith ranked because when this week started off, it sounded a lot more towards Janu missing one more week. But he actually practiced in a limited capacity on Wednesday. So that does open up the door for him to come back. We'll update the rankings as we move forward. If Janu Smith plays, he will be a top 12 tight end for us this week. He will be. You can play anybody against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Anybody and everybody has the potential to score against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Ryan Tannehill's QB4 for me this week. I've been... Preaching this for the past few weeks now. Ryan Tannehill in the playoff matchups, because of the way these games break down, because of the way he's starting to play a little bit better, he's about to catch fire. He's going to be a top six quarterback, I believe, the rest of the way. If not inside the top five, I have him as QB for this week. Against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Derrick Henry, should be no surprise, is my RB1. A.J. Brown, wide receiver 17. Corey Davis, wide receiver 21. You play every single Tennessee Titan fantasy-relevant player that you can possibly play in this match against the Jacksonville Jaguars. And I'll take it a step further. You play every single Tennessee Titan fantasy-relevant player you could possibly play for the rest of the playoffs because of the matchups that they have. Period. So that's straightforward. Jacksonville Jaguars side of things? James Robinson, my RB2. I have my RB1 and my RB2 in this matchup. Tennessee's is terrible against the running backs. T- absolutely terrible. James Robinson's been great. Doesn't matter what's going on offensively for the Jaguars, he finds a way. James Robinson, my RB2 for the week. The only other guy I'm looking at is DJ Chark. I know Colin Johnson's come on strong as of late. You know, we got a mixture of LaVisca Chanel on a crazy touchdown last week. DJ Chark's still wide receiver 40 for me, so he's still more of a high-end wide receiver for... I still believe with Mike Glennon taking shots down the field the way that he is, it still opens up the door for a... DJ Chark 
to hit big at some point. This is a good match against Tennessee. Remember I was talking about if you find yourself in situations like you have a Dalvin Cook and you might want to take more of a chance on your wide receiver three, more of a chance on your flex play to get more of a ceiling play, DJ Chark would be the guy that I would have in consideration if he's on your team. A guy like that where floor-wise, I know it's low and maybe typically I wouldn't want to play you, but if I feel like I have a limited ceiling in other places that I've depended upon this season, I'm okay taking the shot on a player like him. On a guy who should get the majority of targets for his team, has a good matchup, and has big play capability, I'm good with taking the shot on a player like that. That's going to wrap it up for the early matchup games that we have for you guys on tap for our fantasy perspectives. Quickly here, we only have a few minutes. I'm not even going to go through the live read because we don't have time. Let's jump right into the mailbag segment. Now, first question up, I have Buck. He asked me, one flex, Ronald Jones, Amari Cooper, or J.D. McKissick in a half-point PPR league? Hands down, should be no surprise after what we just talked about. It's, it's Ronald Jones for me. I think he's going to have a great game against Minnesota here. I think he's got a great chance at 18 to 20 carries. I think there's going to be a focus to get the running game going for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in this great matchup. And while they're all solid plays in their own right, Ronald Jones has just as much of a floor as those other two players do and way higher of a ceiling. So Buck, hands down, Ronald Jones is going to be my flex play this week out of that group of three. Next up, JF, he asked me, Eric Ebron or Robert Tanyan? I have Eric Ebron ranked inside the top three this week, I believe. Target share has been there. It's just high volume right now for that Pittsburgh Steeler passing attack, including for Eric Ebron. Had he been able to just hold on to a couple of drops that he had, he would have had a huge game last week against the Washington football team. Eric Ebron, while Robert Tanyan has been solid, Eric Ebron just has a higher floor on a week-to-week basis and just as good of a ceiling as a Robert Tanyan is. There's no way Eric Ebron is not an automatic play for me right now at the tight end position. And last but not least, we have Anthony. What's a better playoff stash, Brandon Ayuk or T.Y. Hilton? Great question. Great question because T.Y. Hilton, he's back from the fantasy graveyard. He's actually fantasy relevant again with the past two weeks that he's had. Two touchdowns in a row. Just lit up the Houston Texans. Has a great matchup here against the Raiders. Has another great matchup next week against the Houston Texans. And then you have Brandon Ayuk coming off of injury, going back and asserting himself, getting at just as many targets as Debo Samuel and looking much better at that. Five catches, 95 yards, a touchdown. Should have been two touchdowns had Nick Mullins actually hit him in stride. These guys are playing really well as of late. The 49ers want to take more deep shots to Brandon Ayuk. Ultimately, because of the schedule, I have to say T.Y. Hilton is the better stash for the rest of the playoffs because he's got the Raiders this week, because he's got Houston again next week, when we all know what he does to Houston throughout his entire career. And Ayuk's playing Washington this week, I believe Arizona next week. I would have to lean toward T.Y. Hilton. While I trust Brandon Ayuk's role within that offense a little bit more that I know no matter what the situation is, he's going to either be the most targeted receiver or the second most targeted receiver on his team, where the Colts have been a headache trying to figure out who's going to get the ball on a week-to-week basis. Because they're playing T.Y. Hilton more in a diverse role, meaning he's lining up in the perimeter, he's lining up in the slot more, where early on in the season he was just running goes on the perimeter. That's all he was doing. That's why he was left for dead, essentially. They've changed up the game plan since then to try to get him more involved as they move closer into the playoffs. T.Y. Hilton, with these matchups and his new role that I expect to continue, I don't see why I wouldn't because it's been effective for them. The Colts have won since switching to this. I would go with T.Y. Hilton. He just has a higher ceiling. He has more of a chance to be that elite type of give back 
with these matchups and his new role. That with Brandon Ayuk is going to be that guy who's battling back and forth. Are you a wide receiver three given the matchup, or are you a wide receiver two? And with the 49ers, are they going to run the ball successfully that game, or they're going to have to lean on Brandon Ayuk or Debo Samuel? So there's a lot of question marks there, too. I lean towards T.Y. Hilton. Both are really good stashes, but that's the way I would lean towards right now, Hilton coming back from the fantasy graveyard. That's going to wrap it up for the show today. I hope you guys all enjoyed it. We'll be back tomorrow, same time, same place, 12 to 1.30, on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, WWSRN, presented to you by Belly Up Sports. Follow us on social media, at Belly Up MDFM Show, on Twitter and on Facebook. Check out our rankings on BellyUpFantasySports.com. We'll see you guys again tomorrow. Good luck in your matchups today on the first game of your fantasy football playoffs and we'll talk about the rest of the late window matchups this Sunday at late Sunday afternoon games the Sunday night game and the Monday night game heading into next week in tomorrow's show with another mailbag segment for you guys so make sure you tune back in to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network for that everyone stay safe be happy and have fun in tonight's matchup